Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in once again. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession over 100 years ago. Now, we step back into the ring and back into time with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Tell us what's going on in the Great Smoky Mountains, Ron. Oh, man, beautiful. Uh, getting cold, getting a little bit colder. Uh, some of the leaves are going, man. Uh, and that, I was, I'm uh, kind of disappointed in seeing that because, you know, some of the beauty is going to start dying at this point. But it's not my first rodeo up here, so <laughs> I, I know kind of how it goes. And it's not going to stay beautiful entire until uh, – way on into the winter so uh you know uh but it, it's, it's still beautiful man still in pretty part of the country still enjoying it and wow just looking forward man to cranking out another stud cast here man uh, we see we kind of got a little roll going man i'm i'm really enjoying these and i'm hoping that all the fans out there listening are enjoying as well hey that's uh, that sounds great hey why don't we start ron with this interactive booking game that you began last studcast and you offered all of the fans an opportunity to figure out where you were heading as the booker of Southeastern in a three week period of time between, I think you said October 28th and November 11th of 77. You set us up with a question. This is going to help us guide, guide us in the right direction, obviously. And then you ask who is going to turn babyface or heel and who would be affected by that turn? You posted, as you said you would, on all of the social media sites, the place for the answers. So let's get some results. Come on. Well, you know, I, I found out that uh, that we got uh, quite a few p- potential bookers out there, man, that <laughs> listen every week and uh, sharp dudes, um, you know, and uh, we had some great guesses and uh, two of them actually were correct. And, uh, you know, and I haven't actually got to the angle yet that I really wanted to. That's going to be next week. But I've still already got the answers to my question. And uh, and a couple of those guesses that didn't win were also correct, except they weren't the angle that I had in mind, you know, because uh, I'd forgotten, you know, I, I got two or three angles going all the time. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they took a guess at it, and, I was, and, and a few of them came up with it with another angle that was in the process at the same time. So it was exciting for me to fi- to see that fans could figure out 
more than one angle uh, that, and that the fact that I was working more than one angle uh, at a time during that three week period. So I think on our today's training, uh, each week, uh, each week that today's training that we do, man, is working, you know. I feel good about that little segment we do on every show. Yeah, I think you're obviously doing a pretty decent job training your listenership. So here's the deal. I can't wait to find out the correct guess and who got it. So And who won? Who won, Ron? Well, you know, uh, I, I can't tell you the winner yet. <laughs> I because, knew it. Uh, you know, I want to continue the intrigue, man. I've done Create in 1977. There's really good angle. And as a booker, I figure I got the right to keep my edge <laughs> and keep the fans on the edge of their seat here because the big angle has yet to happen. So so I'm not going to give out those names until next next studcast uh, when the actual angle I was talking about is going to occur. But uh, I can figure out, uh, you know, who figured out the first angle that is going to happen on this studcast of November 4th, 1977. And uh and I'm going to match that today in today's training. I'll tell you who figured the one that's happening into this show today. Hmm. And uh, and it was a pretty darn good angle in itself. And uh, so um, we got a lot going on in a little uh, today's training today. All right. So let me let me get this straight. Make sure I got this right. You're going to tell us the angle that will happen on this card and who guessed it. But that is not the angle you were looking for when you set this set up this booking contest last week it's to me it's kind of a testament to your booking ability that you had two or more angles going at one time during this particular time frame so to me that's what makes these studcast to me really interesting so you give us a complete look deep into the business of professional wrestling that fans just can't find anywhere else well you know i, I try to do exactly like that dave uh, you know i mean uh that's kind of my object here, and uh, and uh, to be honest with you, I actually, uh, in looking back at these two cards, I actually had four angles going. So, so it's my goal on every show to educate and communicate to the fans and uh, as much as possible, and uh, and I want everybody to kind of know what what was going on behind the big black kayfabe curtain, man. <laughs> so you know, and uh, and there was a lot going on uh, in my territories, and uh, and quite a few others were really hooked up too, man. Where you had great storylines, and uh, so much happening that fans just hated to miss the TV because they were like, "Wow, what did I miss here?" Yeah. You know? So yeah. So all right. So but before you do that today, stud. Tell us about what's happening in the Knoxville area again, and let's let's go back to, to what's coming to Knoxville. Wednesday the 24th, the day before Thanksgiving, at the famous Calhoun's on the River restaurant. This is a cool deal. Well, I'm having the second dinner with a stud, Dave. And, uh, and this thing, man, uh, it, it features a tremendous uh, free barbecue buffet dinner. Uh, I'm going to give away two autograph eight by 10 photos, one of myself and one of Jimmy Golden. Uh, we're going to have some great free door prizes from Cherokee Distributing Company. Wow, they gave away some tremendous stuff last one. Uh, I'm going to give away some more stuff myself, uh, mask and uh, some T-shirts and other things. And, uh, and we're going to do that one hour live stud cast and a one hour live question and answer session. And uh, Plus, every single person through the door is going to be greeted by Les Thatcher, by Jimmy Golden, and myself. And we're going to hang out with them after it's over. That's what we did last time for probably 30 minutes. And 
we're going to try to do that again. Uh, it was a fun, fun time for everybody, Dave. All right. Look, and that's what I keep hearing from everybody that I talked to that had the uh, wonderful opportunity to be there. I was not able to, and I, golly, I hope I can make this next one. But so, I mean, the first one really was good. It was a once in a lifetime experience for a lot of fans. So you get your tickets now the same way at tnstud.com. That's tnstud.com stud store. You're also going to find a big souvenir table that's going to be set up there that night also. Fans can get everything that you talked about for only $30. And that's the two that that's two free photographs of you and Jimmy. That's what those would cost alone. The dinner and all the other stuff, we'll just say that's free. So don't miss this incredible night. It's it's going to be one of those that when you come back to Knoxville, you're going to want to you're going to want to do this over and over. So reserve your seats now at tnstud.com, click stud store, look for dinner with the stud. That's dinner with the stud under stud store at tnstud.com. All right, so I can't wait to get this one started. So where do we ride to today, stud? Well, we're going to start by riding into the, today's training, and uh, we're going to find out who almost won the Booker's Contest by guessing one of the two major angles the first two weeks in November of 1977. And next week, we're going to find out who both the winners actually were. So we're focusing on the card of November 4th, 1977 in this studcast. Uh, there's a young wrestler on this card. We called him Ronald Pope. His real name was Frank Goodish, uh, and this guy was destined to become a, a huge star under the name of Bruiser Brody. <clears throat> he was in the main event after only three weeks in the territory. Uh, we will discuss that entire card on this one, on this studcast, the TV that promoted it, the results of the matches, and the attendance. And I'll also give enough time, uh, uh, given enough time here, I'm going to discuss uh, – where I was going after my loss to the Stomper and the Loser Leaf Southeastern match from the last studcast, uh, kind of where we had a question, I believe, last week about where did Bob Armstrong go. Well, if I have the time then in this one, I'm going to talk about where I went after I lost this Loser Leaf Town match. Then uh, we're going to talk about the learning tree. We've got another question there about how the smaller cities in Southeastern Territory were doing considering that Knoxville had become one of the best wrestling cities in the world in 1977. Okay, Ron. So let's talk about who almost won your booking contest in the first week. I loved your interactive idea of a contest with fans. I had no idea that there were two major angles being worked at the time. So explain to those of us not as in tune with booking as others what the first angle was. Okay, well, that's understandable. All right, so uh, we're going to focus on the first angle. Obviously, that happens on the card that's in this week's studcast. And it's not the angle that I was referring to when the contest was announced. Uh, that angle, like I said, is going to be revealed next week for the card of November 11th. And uh, we're going to be talking about November 4th in this one. And uh, the next one, I'm going to introduce both the winners for, for the contest. Uh, and I want to read, you know, this is uh, because the, these, these guys don't just have it figured out. They're even got a pretty good way of uh, describing it. So I want to read the exact words of the man who described the angle on today's card in the Southeastern Tag Championship match between the new champions, Joe Duke and Roy Lee Welch versus former champions, Mr. Knoxville 
and Bob Wharton Jr. They were managed, obviously, by Al Costello. And uh, that gentleman's name was uh, Jody McCoy. And this is the way that Jody McCoy described this first angle. He says, in my prediction, after dropping Southeastern tag titles to Joe LaDuke and Roy Lee Welch due to Costello's negligence, <laughs> Bob Wharton Jr. will turn babyface, begin a feud with Mr. Knoxville, ultimately unmask Mr. Knoxville, reveal him to be Ronnie Garvin, <laughs> thus continuing their feud before Joe LaDuke moves in to replace Orton. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, man, <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, a very astute assessment, man, <laughs> no doubt about that, uh, of that angle and where it went and a pretty concise way of uh, explaining it too. So Mr. McCoy, uh, you know, must've had an extremely good memory or maybe he had some copies of the Knoxville newspapers uh, where he could figure out by looking at the ads, kind of what was going to be ahead. <laughs> Either way, uh, either way, my hat's off to you, Mr. McCoy. Right. That's a great one. Uh, just is, it's, it's, it's just not the correct angle that I wanted, but uh, you certainly got one of the angles that was taking place on this particular night. And uh, I've already removed the contest post about the Booker's contest from all the social media sites. You know, I'm going to keep fans from getting more information on the two winners. And then I've, I've also been uh, very impressed with their predictions, and I want to preserve my last angle until it happens in the next stud cast. Okay, so you you know the deal, Ron. i got to guess that last week's loser leaves Southeastern match for both the Southeastern and TV trophy with Gorgeous George Jr., barred from the Coliseum, of course, and you facing the Mongolian stomper was an angle in and of itself. Well, <laughs> I guess it was, Dave. It certainly was, man. You know, uh -huh. and I think some of this wrestling talking booking, man's rubbing off on you, Dave. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Uh, now, you know, I got one for you, man. So, you know, uh, you're getting sharper here. So, uh, uh, I got one for you. Uh, let's just say on this card, and mm -hmm. we're going to be discussing the one we're discussing in this studcast. There are two guys uh, in this. On the on the matches and the card of uh, November fourth, nineteen seventy seven, mm -hmm. that are being carried out of the ring, and they're never going to return to Southeastern Knoxville again. And uh, so I want to see if you can guess who those two guys are. <laughs> All right, you are on, stud, no doubt. All right, let's. I tell you what, let's get to that card, November fourth, seventy seven, in the Jacobs Building, Chilhowee Park, so I can try to tell tell you which two were actually carried out after I hear the card. How about that? Well, obviously, you got to hear the card. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. my man. All right. So, so, <laughs> I am going to give you the card at least. <laughs> so the opening match was going to be my brother, Robert Fuller, uh, and he's wrestling against who was pretty much an established star there, Jim Dalton at this point. Uh, and it was the second time that Dalton had wrestled Robert uh, in the last five weeks. Uh, Irish Pat Barrett back on this this card. He's a world star, man. He's not just a star in Southeastern. He's a star anywhere he goes in the world. And he's going to be meeting the pro in this one. And Doug Gilbert, uh, that's going to be the second counter between those two in the last six weeks. So Ricky Gibson 
Tony Charles, hope you're getting all these names, man. These are the dudes now that's in this that's in the on this card. Mm-hmm. I got you. Gibson and Tony Charles wrestling against Don Carson and the Assassin. Right. And then after the hair versus tag belts match last week, the new champions, Joe LaDuke and Roy Lee Welch. Roy didn't Roy preserved his hair, uh, all of it, right down <laughs> to his scalp. And uh they are defending in this one uh, for the first time against the former champions, Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, and Bob Orton Jr., and they are managed by Al Costello. The main event I mentioned a little earlier, it had a three-week newcomer with great talent between territories at that time. That's how we got him. He just called up, said, look, man, I'm looking for a place to go for three weeks. I've got a, I'm going somewhere after that. And, uh, so we brought him in. He didn't even know what we he wanted to be called. And um, so we named this guy Ronald Pope. And uh, his real name was Frank Goodish. And uh, he's later going later on going to be known by the world as Bruiser Brody. So on this night, he's managed by my brother Robert, uh, who is very upset about what happened to me the week before. And to prove Pope's potential, Ronald Pope's potential. He was getting a very rare, after only three weeks in the Southeastern Territory, title match against a Mongolian stomper managed by Gorgeous George Jr. Okay, Dave, uh, who are the two guys on this card that are going to be carried out and never be back in Southeastern Knoxville again? Wait, wait a minute now. I just heard the card, so at least let me hear what was going to happen on the TV show, which I think would be the 29th of October, 77, six days before the card goes live, because... Typically, that kind of sets it up, right? Oh, well, see? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I got you. You are getting on it, my man. Thank so, you. Yeah. So, okay, that's fair enough. So so let's dive into that TV. Now, this one opens with Les Thatcher running down a great card, a great TV card, three tag matches, plus there's a young star on this TV that's destined for greatness, man. And then when the camera's back away from Les's close-up on the set behind him, uh, was a giant steel frame shot of me with the fuller leg lock on the Mongolian stopper. Uh, and then when you look closely, there's no referee to be seen in this shot. It's just me with the hold on stopper, middle of the ring. And uh, he had the referee had been ejected from the ring after a collision he'd had with me just before this, before I got the fuller leg lock on the stopper. So uh, then the cameras back off and they pick up my brother, Robert Fuller. And behind Rob stands a young guy, got a young face, man, big dude, giant young man, about six, eight, uh, you know, uh, probably uh, close to 300, uh, you know, had this dark beard, black beard that seemed like it surrounded his whole head, man. And, uh, you know, for Southeastern TV fans, mm-hmm. if they hadn't been to matches in the first two weeks, uh, they got their first look at Ronald Pope alias Bruiser Brody. (laughs) And if it hadn't been to any live events, they were probably a little bit shocked. (laughs) I mean, this guy looked anything but a typical baby face. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, wow. And and he was just as rugged and nasty with his disposition as he looked, man. And, uh, And it was just what old Rob wanted, man, after what he... What, what was going to happen to me as he watched this video right there that day, he needed this type of guy. So Les began with an apology right off the bat to Rob about the night before. 
Now, this had just occurred the night before where I'd lost this this uh, this loser league town match, and uh, and he he was he told Rob how how it, how it would go down in southeastern history as one of the worst outside interference defeats ever <laughs> in a loser leaves match. Hmm. You know, so less than rolled the tape. So Rob pointed out right away that the match was over right there. You know, basically, less uh, you when Ron's got him in that leg lock, he said, uh, that's his hole. And nobody ever escaped it once he put the fuller leg lock on him. And if they'd failed to give up, uh, they usually left with a broken leg. So, you know, the assassin and the Carson, uh, Don Carson, arrive at the ring about this time frame. And Rob gets very angry, obviously. And uh, he starts to explain to Les and the fans why he wasn't there himself. Uh, you know, and uh, two matches earlier in that night, this was last last week's uh, card, uh, the last night's card, actually. And two weeks earlier, two matches earlier, excuse me, uh, Rob got cut by Don Carson. He was in the match with Carson. Carson hit him with the black glove. Uh, he got a bad cut, and he had to go to the hospital and get stitches. And he went to the hospital right before my match started. Hmm. So there's nobody watching my back. And, uh, you know, then that was the reason that there was nobody watching it. And as, and as it occurred on video, then Rob describes how Carson and the assassin come in the ring. They stomp me off of a uh, Mongolian stomper hmm. and uh, what should have been the finish of the match. And, uh, and it should have been me getting my hand raised right there. Right. It should have all been over. And then uh, Carson full Nelson me. Uh, and uh, the assassin, uh, got ready to headbutt me and uh when he did i ducked and carson got blasted by the headbutt <laughs> he went flying backward into the ropes uh, and actually through the ropes and out of the ring but the referee happened to be coming back into the ring exactly where carson went out he collided with the referee knocked the referee back out on the concrete and he went out on the concrete too so you know then rob said you know Gosh, Les, he, he said, I have seen this before. And he goes, I, I, I can never, I don't think I've ever been so proud of my brother of what he did. He's fighting three men by himself in the rest of this match. And, uh, and the video's continuing, and he described my going after the assassin, which I did. Uh, after he had headbutted the wrong guy, I went after him. I started kicking his rear end and uh, <laughs> hitting him with a few wraparounds and uh, <laughs> And then finally the stomper got up and grabbed me from behind and he held me. So this time the, the assassin didn't just headbutt, head, he'd go for his headbutt, he loaded his hood. And, and again, when he went to headbutt, I dropped. And the stomper took it this time, man. And, uh, and he went flying backwards in, uh, from the headbutt and he's down. He's down and practically out. So I started on the assassin again, you know, just me and him again. And this time, I put my fuller leg lock on the assassin. And the referee's trying to climb back in the ring again, but Carson's trying to climb back in the ring at the same time. And uh, camera picks up that uh, Carson grabs the referee and he jerks him off the apron and he just throws him across the concrete floor, slides across the, the uh, Coliseum floor and, uh, and away from the ringside. Then Carson gets back in the ring. He loaded his glove. And, uh, and there I am. Laying with the uh, leg lock on the assassin, both of us are on our back. Our legs are locked together. I can't go anywhere. I'm completely helpless. 
and he loads his glove and he comes right over. And what does he do? He just, he nails me, man. <laughs> so, you know, and uh, that's it. Uh, that's all he had to do, man. Uh, let go of the assassin. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so Carson grabs the assassin. He rolls him out of the ring. And then, you know, I'm just laying there. I'm, I'm out. And uh, he drags me to the center of the ring. Then he goes and gets the stomper who's been headbutted by the assassin. And he drags the stomper and puts him on top of me. And then he leaves the ring. <laughs> the referee finally crawled up uh, into the ring. And uh, he had not seen anybody, really. Mm. <laughs> you know, he didn't see the stomper. I mean, he didn't see Carson. He didn't see the assassin, you know. And uh, so he crawls over, assassin's on top. He counts me out. Well, Rob, at that point, he went a little nuts. You know, he asked, you know, <laughs> he really, it really got to him about the, what a horrible job that they had done on me, you know. And he asked Les if he'd ever seen a bigger screw job than that, you know. He said, one man against three, you know, and uh, that now he was definitely going to be at ringside the next Friday night, that he was going to be in the corner of one of the nastiest men he'd ever seen in the ring. And he looked over his shoulder at Ronald Pope, who was actually Bruiser Brody. And uh, when he called him one of the nastiest men they ever seen in the ring, <laughs> he wasn't exaggerating. And he said he was going to watch this young star take the Mongolian stomper southeastern belt and then run him and gorgeous George right out of here. So the fans, man, they were getting fired up at this point, uh, more fired up by the second. And so was that young Bruiser Brody standing behind him, man. He, he was ready to go. So Rob and him left, and they were left to go right straight to the ring. And, uh, wow, in that match – Brody absolutely horrified everybody in the studio uh, with a violent display in the ring, man. A display of punches and kicks and big bumps, uh, single arm body slams, all kinds of different crazy bumps. Whoa. And uh, and he uh, and then it happened to be that Brody's wrestling the pretty unpopular heel, big old fat Tony Peters. They both were about the same weight, <laughs> but there was no no comparison to their bodies. You know, Peter's a big old fat guy, and uh, by gosh, Brody was in shape. And uh, yeah, so he threw Tony Peters over the top rope. He was more heel than the heel. That's basically what it was. He just threw Peters over the top rope. He didn't care. He got disqualified. <laughs> and then he went out and he found a steel chair over by the corner, a uh, long way away from the ring. He had to search out for him a chair. And he loved to use those chairs, Brody. Uh, he used one on me in Japan. And I got to use one on him too before we left. So <laughs> I equaled it out. Yeah. But he went outside and he found himself a steel chair and he used it on big old Tony Peters, not just once, but three times he hit him with that chair and the referee disqualified him while he was still outside the ring. Everybody watches from the ring. He just says, oh, ring the bell. <laughs> this is over. You know, and then, then the referee, uh, you know, uh, Rob didn't mind the way it had ha that the kid handled himself. You know, no. he was ecstatic about this big man and what he was going to do the following Friday night. And the studio crowd was just as ready for it as Rob was, man. They were like, wow, this guy's nuts, man. So they went back to the set with Liz, you know, Rob and and Ben Brody and the, and the Stomper and Gigi went into Studio B 
Gigi was extremely upset by what he had just seen, obviously. You know, and he said something to Les. You know, he's talking to Les, <laughs> even though he's in the studio by himself. And he says, Les asked her, I can't believe Southeastern's going to allow a madman like that to wrestle my champion. <laughs> you know, he said, yeah. somebody's going to get hurt and hurt bad. <laughs> so, so when Rob got a chance to talk, he was on fire, man. He, he, I mean, <laughs> bro, this this young kid had lit him up, man. He said, uh, you know, GG, <laughs> you, you know, you're exactly right because somebody is going to really get hurt, and it's going to be the stomper and you that's <laughs> going to get hurt, you know. And the studio fans were just going nuts. Uh, this young star, man, he had made a tremendous impact on his first TV show. Yeah, it sounds like it. What a great way to start a TV show. So, all right, so who was next? Well, the two guys that had done the dirty work in the video, just just watched from the night before, they were in it. The assassin, Don Carson, popped out there, man, and they're in the second match. And boy, did they arrive to ringside to an angry crowd. They weren't, they weren't really a... Uh, at this point, uh, they had such heat, man. They didn't uh, need a lot. Didn't take them long to dispatch a couple of young guys that was in the ring with them, and they were eager to get to the set because they wanted to talk and brag about their conquest of uh, the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller. And uh, so Ricky Gibson and Tony Charles were in Studio B. Uh, they're going to be wrestling those two guys the following Friday night, and they started things off. Uh, talking about the video of the match that they had just watched back in the uh, in the dressing room on the monitor, man, and uh, how a rotten a win the Stomper had gotten over Ron Fuller, man, because of the two guys, uh, you know, that they were facing the following Friday night. These two guys are the reason, Carson and the Assassin, uh, you know, and uh, and. It, Gee, somebody needs to do something to you guys for this. You know, <laughs> that's just a terrible way to to beat somebody. So, uh, so then it came Carson Don's time, and uh, you know, and they kept that same subject matter as the focus. Man, they just stayed right on this video, and they bragged about how stupid I was not to have someone watching my back. And then Carson bragged about how he had intentionally, uh, you know, loaded his glove with a with the, the the high powered stuff and he he said when i hit robert fuller i intended to send him to the hospital so he wouldn't be there when we take care of his brother a couple matches later and uh so you know he said uh, that they now had made good on their promise to send more fan favorites like bob armstrong and now ron fuller packing and that their goal of controlling southeastern was well on its way that the tennessee stud was gone Bob Armstrong was gone, and who's next? They were looking at each other. Who's next? <laughs> so, uh, and you know, then they kind of uh, returned to that sinister side, man. You know, saying it wasn't long now until they were ready to pull the trigger on that deal with the devil, and everything was going perfectly. And uh, look out, Southeastern fans! I think they said something like that. And major changes are on the way, and this wrestling company is going to look a lot different in the very near future. All right, so uh, a really cool show so far, no doubt about that. The personality profile is going to be coming next with Mr. Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr., and Al Costello. 
But we're close to a break, so let's get ready to do that. And let's remember that you can find Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell, and they'll ring your bell when the greatest stories in wrestling are dropped on the YouTube channel at Southeastern Rewind. And make sure you tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind as well. All right, we're going to return after a few words about Southeastern Rewind from Ron and me. And this show will continue right after this. Okay, episode number 225, and we're taking a break. And Ron, your Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel is fast becoming the place for old school wrestling history. Tell us some of the big things that are happening on the Southeastern Rewind channel right now on YouTube. Well, geez, Dave, there's a lot going on, man. Uh, there's, a, there's 14 USA TV shows, and a new one of those is added to the mix every week. There's three award-winning continental TV shows already on there, and a new one of those is added every week. Uh, there's one tremendous Southeastern show from 1978, an original show, uh, that's on there. It's had uh, almost 4,000 views. Uh, it is really, really uh, popular. Uh, the last four stud casts are on there, and, and we're about to add this one to it. So, uh, you know... Uh, we're going to add Studcast to it every week from this point on. There's two Southeastern sweet spots on there and more of those to come. Uh, there's the first live dinner with the stud on there that, that has both the Studcast. One of them has the Studcast on it. And the second live Studcast one has hilarious, man. It's a question and answer. Uh, one hour show that was done live. Uh, with uh, myself, uh, Les Thatcher, and Dr. Tom Pritchard. Mm -hmm. uh, great show, man. Uh, you got the Funk Brothers on there with a never-before-broadcasted interview from the 1990s. Uh, you got two recent stud stories about the history of NWA champions, Luthez and Pat O'Connor, and my matches that I had with them. And I'm going to be doing nine more of those NWA world champion stud stories mm -hmm. uh each one of them uh is guys that i wrestled and uh i'm gonna do one of those every week and uh and we're just going to continue adding to it man hey that's cool but i mean you've already done luthez and pat o'connor so those are only going to get better this southeastern rewind channel ron is really blowing up and if, if you've not already subscribed and you want to see and hear what the tennessee stud produced during his career in this sport or just get a feel for what he does now, then go to YouTube, Southeastern Rewind, and subscribe today for the very best in old school wrestling history. Ring the bell icon there and get your bell rung every time something new is added to the channel. Don't be no fool. Old school is cool on YouTube's Southeastern Rewind. You gotta check it out on YouTube. All right, welcome back into episode number 225. The second segment is underway. All right, Stud, so what went down in the personality profile of this particular TV show? Well, Al Costello, he brought his two former Southeastern Tag Champions uh, to the set with him, and Les welcomed them. And uh, they did the profile live in front of the studio audience right there, only a few feet away from the audience, uh, and uh, they might uh, have uh, no longer been on the be the current uh, tag team champions at this point, but boy, they still had a whole lot of heat. So Les was prepared during this particular profile uh, to drive a wedge between the three of them. 
they were already having problems, and I think Les is Les wanted to really uh, let's get this thing cranked up big time. So he, what he did is he had prepared some videos. He had gone back three weeks, and he started with these little video snips from the title matches and the matches that these guys had had in the last three weeks. Uh, and instead of showing the matches, he showed the little altercations at the end of them that had taken place about three different times with Al Costello making a mistake that cost his men. And each time uh, it had to do mostly with Bob Wharton Jr. and Al Costello. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, was always trying to settle the other two down. Uh, but Costello watched a couple of these, two or three of these, and, um, you know, and <laughs> you could see his face was turning red. And he was like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> what are you doing here? You know, and the two guys behind him, they were looking at each other and they're, you know, uh, so. So then Leslie, he asked the director, you know, uh, Bill Kincaid, he says, uh, Bill, would you please play the last one, which happened to be the worst one yet. It was their loss from the night before where they actually lost the belt. And this time it wasn't Costello's fault. Uh, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. were working uh, great uh, as a team, but they just couldn't get the pin on Roy Lee Welch during the course of this match. And Joe LaDuke could sense his partner wasn't maybe not going to be able to make the tag. He's not going to be able to survive. And, and he did something that's very rare that you get away with, but somehow the referee let him get by with it. He just basically without Roy actually tagging him, just came in and started making the comeback illegally, obviously without a tag from Roy. He threw Mr. Knoxville out of the ring. He put a bear hug on Bob Orton jr. And the referee after he kept the barrel going for a little bit, started to count him out, was going to disqualify him finally. And at about the count of four, Joe dropped him, dropped the lifeless Orton on the mat, uh, and uh, Roy covered him, you know. So the referee then grabbed Joe, and he was very physical at this point. He's like, you got to get out of the ring. You're not even supposed to be in here. And he starts trying to get Joe out of the ring. So Mr. Knoxville climbs up on the top rope, uh, and he's going to jump off and Roy's back. Roy's laying on top of of um, Bob Orton Jr., but he's really not uh, not very knowledgeable about where he is in the ring at this point. But, but he had more going in his favor than than uh, you would have expected, because when Knoxville jumped from the top rope, Roy's moved off of of uh, Orton Jr. and Garvin land right across to Orton Jr.'s chest. So Leduc then uh, tackled Mr. Knoxville. Obviously, uh, when Mr. Knoxville Garvin jumped up trying to make the save here because uh, Roy just fell right back on top of him again. Uh, here came Leduc. He grabbed uh, Mr. Knoxville's legs. He held on to him, and the rest were history, man. Uh, all three of the losers uh, got into a big argument on the profile set, right there on the set at this point. Now, studio crowd, you know, they were encouraging it, obviously. They loved it, so they yeah, go on, fight, you know. So, so you know, then it about a, they just all clicked on them. It just it seemed like the same time they suddenly all three of them just turned on Les. They seemed to realize they finally realized that what Les was doing, and uh, now they all three had a common enemy, 
and the fans began to boo, man, because they all three got in Les's face. They were really about to put their hands on him. <laughs> and Les ended the profile pretty quickly, and he asked for the announcer. He more like begged for the announcer, Phil Rainey, to ring the bell for the next match <laughs> because he knew these three guys were in the next match. Yeah, enough's enough. <laughs> he, said, he said, Phil, ring the bell. Ring the bell. <laughs> you know, because I'm going to get my – my my rear end tore up here if you don't. So they obviously went right straight into the ring. And, and uh, you know, they kind of started making up right there in the ring. They started hugging each other before the bell rang. And then, then when the bell rang, boy, they demolished their opponents, man, in short order as usual. And uh, Orton used his backbreaker and dropped a guy on his head. And then Garvin, Mr. Knoxville, jumped off the top rope and another one's throat. And, and then they all three celebrated in the ring afterward, man, before we're going to the set, man, for the next interview. So they had pretty much made up, man. So the next tag champions, uh, the new ones, uh, Joe Duke and Roy Lee Welch, mm-hmm. were in the Studio B. They had their belts. Uh, they're going to talk about their upcoming uh, title defense. They were having given a return match to the champions. And the studio popped when they saw these new tag champions with their belts for the first time. Uh, they loved this team of Roy and Joe. And, uh, man, uh, they started uh, Roy and Joe both by thanking all the Southeastern fans for their support. And they, and they gave all the credit, man, for their great victory the night before to the fans themselves. And uh, if they could, they'd give the fans the belts because they earned them. And uh, then Costello and his two men, uh, we're still angry with Les. They're at the set with him, and they started then to accuse him, trying to break their great team apart. You're trying to break up our great team. And they declared that uh, the last TV match was proof that it hadn't worked. What you just saw a minute ago, Les Thatcher, uh, Al Costello was saying, is is exactly um, what we're all about. And you haven't messed up anything here. We're more... Uh, you know, and they ended up with thanking Les, man, actually thanking him for what he tried to do and how it had backfired on him. They ended up saying they were more of a team now than they'd ever been, you know, and they were going to win their belts back next Friday night. So Joe and Roy were wrestling in the last of the four matches on the TV, and um, it was their first one, obviously, since winning the belts the night before. And, wow, what an ovation they got. The celebration was on in the studio, man. And it was probably on at homes all across the Southeast as well, man, uh, because this team had been pretty much unbeatable. Uh, And uh, Joe and Roy were really, really popular. And so they were about to finish their opponents and get the last match over. And here came out of nowhere all three of uh, the two former champions and their manager, uh, Al Costello. And Roy and Joe, uh, they weren't prepared at all for it, man. I mean, they just banged. They, from out of nowhere, came actually from two different sides of the studio. And uh, they hit the ring. And the referee was the first guy they threw out. They got rid of the referee. (laughs) And after only a couple of minutes, they had both Joe and Roy Lee bleeding, man. They were were really, really just tearing them up. Wow. And uh, so those three guys finally left the ring, but not before Tony Charles and Ricky Gibson had to come and save Joe and Roy. And uh, they left Joe and Roy laying there, man, bleeding. So, And this time, after the two-minute commercial break, uh, a bloody Joe LaDuke and Roy Welch, uh, they went to the set to join Les. They exchanged a bloody towel 
<laughs> they were wiping the blood from their faces as they were trying to talk in the last interview. This basically one would make a big swath of blood off his forehead and and hand a towel to the other one, and it just was passing it back and forth. Wow. And, uh, and now in Studio B was the most fired team of the day, man. Uh, it appeared Al Costello had his team back. And, uh, you know, the way they looked there in, that, in this last interview, they might get their belts back right away. Uh, <laughs> they were the ones doing the celebrating at the end of the show. And it was basically going to be a classic and historic tag match six days later in Knoxville. Wow. Okay, Dave. Now, uh, now you know who was who was on TV and who were the two wrestlers going mm -hmm. to be carried. So mm -hmm. who were the two wrestlers to be carried out of the ring the next Friday night on their last Southeastern show? All right, this uh, all right, this has not been easy. I think that since you said Ronald Pope, later known as Bruiser Brody, was only there for three weeks, maybe the Stomper did a real job on him to get himself over big, as if the Stomper needed that. Then Al Costello was, I guess, kind of a kind of a frail guy and older and could be ending his run as a manager. So I'm going to guess he was the other guy working his last night ever for Southeastern. How about that? <laughs> Look at you, my man. <laughs> what? You're 100%. 100%. Oh, I was looking at least for 80%, so I'll take it. <laughs> you, you got it all, man. You know, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you're, you're really getting you're really getting there. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a few things and ready to start booking any day that, that you are ready to set me up, Stud. So, all right, so what happens on the matches November 4th of 77? Well, after losing the loser-leave match, uh, I didn't go to matches in the Southeastern for a long time. Nowhere, none of them. And I tried my best not to even be seen much in public around town. Uh, I wanted the fans to know that I was away, that I that I had lost, and that uh, I was no longer a part of it. Uh, I watched every TV show from my home in Knoxville, and then I would have Les come over during the week, and we would sit and talk about the next TV, and uh, then uh, and then uh, he would uh, you know we'd talk about uh, what happened on that Friday night. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it was a little different, man. I, I was, I had, I had lost and, uh, and I wanted to be gone from the company. Mm -hmm. I needed to be. So, uh, so Robert got a win, uh, you know, and that next Friday night, uh, here's what happened, you know? Uh, so Rob got himself a win over Jim Dalton, uh, Irish Pat Barrett. He beat the pro great match. Wow. Beautiful finish. Uh, guy's going to be a big star. Uh, Don Carson and the Assassin won over Ricky Gibson and Tony Charles. Uh, in the Southeastern Chag Championship match, uh, the Al Costello uh, former champions looked great until the end of the match. And, boy, it all started to break, break down between them. Uh, and and uh, it started with Costello, real small thing. Uh, uh, the guys are spinning down the ropes. I think it was Joe, Roy Lee Welch and uh, – and Bob Orton Jr. were just kind of spinning down the ropes. Uh, one's back to the ropes, the other back to the ropes. And uh, Costello reaches in there to trip to trip for Roy Lee, and he trips Bob Orton by mistake. And that kind of got it all started. And shortly thereafter, uh, Orton was holding Roy Lee in the corner for Mr. Knoxville to finish him with a punch. And uh, Roy ducked and Garvin hit Orton. 
Gordon fell backwards off the apron. He landed on top of Costello, who stood in the corner always and uh, didn't see him coming. And now he thought he took it personally that Orton had jumped off the ring on him. And then Orton uh, drug Mr. Knoxville out of the ring and onto the floor. And by God, it all started. Wow. They began to fight. <laughs> it was so, uh, you know, and the building was going crazy. The referee counted the Costello team out for fighting on the floor. They made no attempt to even re-enter the ring. They didn't care. The fight was on. And, uh, you know, they, the referee raised Roy and Joe's hands. He gave him the belt, and they left the ring, and the fight was still going on out on the floor. And uh, so then uh, as soon as they left the ring, uh, uh, Orton and Garvin rolled up in, into the ring, man, and uh, it was very clear, man, uh, uh, how Costello, who he really liked, though, at this point, he'd had a lot of problems with Orton. And, uh, you know, Gar Garvin and Orton are fighting now inside the ring. Costello attacked Orton from behind. Him and Garvin, the double teaming him. And uh, it was that clear at that point who the fans wanted. <laughs> they started really getting behind Orton. <laughs> and uh, so Garvin and Costello, they're double teaming poor Bob Orton Jr. by himself. And uh, Mr. Knoxville uh, slammed Orton and he set him up in the middle of the ring. And then he went up on the top rope to do the old, the old knee drop off the top, man. And when he did, Orton moved. Knoxville landed hard on his knee, really hard. And uh, so much, he had so much momentum going forward and he hit so hard on his knee, it kind of shot him face first between the top and the second rope out into the floor. And uh, you could tell he was laying out there and holding his knee. He was, he was pretty bad. He was in bad shape. So Costello, because Orton is still kind of down, Costello started on him, man, trying to keep him down, maybe until Garvin could come back, but he couldn't do it. Garvin wasn't able to come back as soon as he thought, and uh, finally Orton soon started to overpower uh, Al Costello. Al had a little age on him, and he was no, no contest for Orton. Hmm. And then Orton really beat the hell out of him, which the fans enjoyed, <laughs> and then put him on his back in the backbreaker. And the crowd exploded then. They were like, wow, this is great. <laughs> After all this time with these, this team and seeing what's going on with them now. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then Orton jumped up and down several times in, while he had him in that hole, which just made the back pain, pain more, uh, more hurtful in, the, in that back area, man, when he jumped like that. And then he walked over real slowly to the ropes where Garvin was still down, laying on the concrete, holding his knee. He was really having a problem with his knee. And uh, and then he just, uh, <laughs> he had st still had Costello on his back, and he looked over there, and he saw Garvin, and he just dropped Costello headfirst on top of Mr. Knoxville on the concrete floor. Whoa. And, uh, and it was such a nasty-looking bump that the crowd, there was a big gasp from the crowd. They quit cheering. They went, <gasps> like, oh, God, he's killed him, <laughs> you know? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, even though they despised Costello, I, I don't think they, they wanted to see him get hurt that bad. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and, it, and it looked like it killed him, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from, from the camera angle, it looked like it killed him. So then Horton went to the dressing room, and the crowd cheered him all the way to the Hills dressing room, and he went in the Hills dressing room. 
so Mr. Knoxville, he finally got himself up on his feet, but he, he, he was knee was really hurting him, and uh, you could tell he couldn't really straighten out his leg, and he couldn't help Costello. He couldn't get Costello to his feet, and uh, he finally had to leave him. So he left Costello, and Costello was laying there, and uh, and then Ronnie uh, hobbled back upstairs where the dressing room were work and uh, this was in the jacobs building so he had to go up there and with his bad knee he managed to go up the stairs and he got to the dressing room and when he entered the dressing room door orton was waiting on him and uh mr knoxville man uh the first thing you saw was orton was a knoxville uh, disappearing into the dressing room and then he came out the dressing room door thrown out of the chair dressing room and orton came out with a chair and hit him in the head and the crowd now, both upstairs and down, were just on fire, man. It was like, this ain't going to stop. <laughs> it just was everywhere, all over the building. So the rescue squad finally had to come. The Chilhai Park had a rescue squad that uh, most facilities had. And they came to help Al Costello, you know, and he was he was hurt really bad. And, uh, you know, they had, did as much as they could for him. And then they called an ambulance. And Mr. Knoxville, you know... Uh, he didn't even go back in the dressing room. He hobbled out of the building, you know, tried to disappear, I guess, in the night. And uh, the ambulance picked up uh, uh, poor Al Costello. And uh, <laughs> and I doubt that crowd, man, in that as much as they had seen in that building over the years that they had ever seen anything like that. Before. Wow. Wow. So last match of the night man was extremely violent just like the one before it man uh robert set and ronald pope who was that that was a young bruiser brody's corner and as with many of stompers matches and with all of brody's matches there was plenty of blood in this match man uh, stomper got bleeding and and so was brody bleeding and the stomper Got a really strong win right in the middle of the ring. Unlike Brody's matches years later in the future when he's not going to want to do jobs for guys, he's a young guy, and he understood that, hey, this guy is the king here, and uh, and you're just passing through, and you need to make him look good, and that's exactly what he did, man. Hmm. And, uh, uh, so, uh, so Brody had only asked for three weeks when he came in. He was starting in another territory after that. We knew it when he came in and like Sylvester Ritter who was there and uh, we made him the junkyard dog uh, while he was there with us in Southeastern. He went uh, the junkyard dog went on the mid South resting and uh, we had uh, never seen Brody before, just like we'd never seen Sylvester Ritter before. He was still green man, and, and you, but you could see his potential man that he's going to draw a lot of money in the future. Uh, Stomper got a very valuable win for his future. And uh, we'd get Brody back again for a little short run in southeastern Pensacola in the early 1980s. So on this night, he completed his three-week stay. Uh, he completed it by taking a stretcher ride to the upstairs babyface dressing room. And uh, Bruce Brody would never wrestle again in southeastern Knoxville. Wow. And neither would Al Costello. Hmm. Yeah, I can certainly see that. Man, that's a crazy night. So attendance had to be pretty awesome. Well, you know, we'd gotten away with just over 4,000 a couple of weeks earlier in the park there. 
because there was no fire marshal. And I guess the word got around, and this time the fire marshal showed up, and uh, he cut us off at about 3,800 3,800 tickets, Hmm. Uh, you know. But uh, it was still a massive crowd in that building, Uh, you know, one of the biggest, far more than should have been in there, I guess is a good way of putting it. Yeah. All right, Ron. So we only have enough time for either the learning tree question or what you wanted to tell us you were doing after your loss in the loser leaves Southeastern match in the last stud cast. So uh, your choice on this, what do you want to do? Well, I think I want to talk about where I was going and what I was doing after that loser leaves match. Uh, And we talked about uh, Bob uh, going back to Georgia and wrestling in the state of Georgia. And, uh, and I really at this point needed badly to finalize uh, a purchase of, one of the two territories that I had been looking at for a year now. And, uh, and, uh, that one of the, those two territories, one was in Ohio in the North and on the South uh, on the Gulf coast was the Gulf coast territory. And, uh, I couldn't keep working every night and ever get to make a decision where I wanted to build my next business because I needed to see those States. I needed to see those buildings there. I needed to meet the TV people. I needed to do the due diligence that was necessary to make the right decision as to which where to go, which way to go. And uh, and I just didn't have the time. So losing this loser leave worked out to be a pretty good thing for me. But then I had another problem as well with uh, with what was going to happen to me uh, during this time frame. I had committed about a year earlier to work five shows in St. Louis for their booker and a great friend of mine, Pat O'Connor. And uh, between November 18th and December the 17th, I worked two Keel Auditorium shows and three TVs, and the TVs were on Sunday. So I had to make five flights and over the period of a month time, back and forth to St. Louis, working house shows on two of them and TVs on three of them. And then I took my final shot of the year in 1977. I went to Detroit, Michigan, one week before Christmas on December the 18th. Uh, I was going to meet the Sheik there. I was going to wrestle in the famous Cobo Hall in Detroit. And I was going to sit with Eddie Farhat was the sheep and uh and try to finalize the deal to buy ohio wow so that's got to be a memorable trip right there and a great story for another time hey maybe maybe next week all right so if you want to attend the second dinner with the stud wednesday november 24th the night before thanksgiving you need to make your reservations by sunday the 21st of 2021 Don't miss this rare opportunity to share an evening of great stories and memories with other fans. Events like this don't come along often. Make your reservations now at tnstud.com. tnstud.com. Click Stud Store and find Dinner with a Stud. Only $30 for a truly unforgettable evening. Get on board the hottest YouTube old school wrestling channel, Southeastern Rewind. Subscribe today and enjoy great USA, Continental, and Southeastern TV shows from the 1980s. In the order they were produced, current studcast, historic stud stories, and a whole lot more. And get your Christmas gifts from the stud store this year. TNstud.com. Click on stud store. 
autographed photos, T-shirts, Tennessee stud mask, a great Continental DVD five-pack with 62 matches, 12 hours of classic video action, Ron's brilliant Brutus novel, even autographed, and much more. TNstud.com. Click on Stud Store. And on Facebook, become friends with the legend, the stud on his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud, or author Ron Fuller Welch page. Simply like and follow him there, and you automatically become friends with the legend, the Tennessee stud. On Twitter, follow him as Ron Fuller Welch. And so, the next question, where are we writing next week, Ron? Well, we're going to announce, like I said earlier in this one, the two winners of that uh, recent booking contest, the one in today's training, and they'll be in the next uh, studcast, today's training. And we're going to hear uh, what they described as the person and others influenced by the angle I mentioned two weeks ago. So we're going to, we're finally going to get to the end of that interactive little question that I did. So, and then we're going to discover the new direction, man, of Southeastern uh, on this next card, which is, was November 11th, 1977. Mr. Knoxville is going to be wrestling against his former partner, Bob Orton Jr. Thunderbolt Patterson is going to come in full time. Irish Pat Barrett is going to go up against Tony Charles next week. And the winner of that gets a shot at Nelson Royals World Junior title the week after that and much more. Uh, we're going to talk about a, a lot of events next week and a lot of matches, a lot of things that were happening. We'll talk about the TV that promotes this uh, next November 11th, 77 show. Talk about the results of the matches and the attendance. And then we're going to finally get to answer that learning tree question that I didn't get to today. Uh, and I think the question was how, how was the smaller cities in Southeast are doing since Knoxville had become one of the best wrestling cities in the world in 1977. Yeah. Uh, and as usual, Dave, I want to thank everyone for their continued support. Uh, wow. Uh, of everything that I do and please tell your friends and neighbors about us and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the great smoky mountains. I'm David Summers saying, thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.